You're listening to Chameleon Church. Biblical antidotes for the modern man. With your host, Ellen Aguirre. Alan Aguirre with the Chameleon. I'm your host, Chameleon. This is the Chameleon Church Show. See, I'm getting I'm getting my intros mixed up. Good morning. It's Tuesday, August 31st. Wow, this is it, man. We are officially transitioning out of summer into fall or autumn. Unless you're in Texas, you just you're just gonna go back into tornado season. You don't actually have any fall or spring. And uh, we do. Our, our trees are changing. You can see them on the mountains. And we are entering into the fall season, which means we get to start wearing clothes again. Because, you know, I've been, we've been naked up until this point. And uh, it's a, I, like, I like it, but I like the fall. I do. I do. I, I, I mean, like when, if, you think about, if you think of Scotland, you know, Scotland... Uh, it's all autumn colors, and I've got autumn color clothes, you know, with the tweed and the, you know, the wool, and I love those colors. I love that clothing, but it does signify the end of summer, and I have a problem with that. I'm a Southern California boy. I'm all about summers and beach, and uh, I haven't been to the beach in a year, but I'm supposed to remedy that in October. Oh, look at I'm frozen. Look at this. Unbelievable. I, I, there's nothing I can do about this. What is going on with this application? So, hey, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you what we're doing, and then I'm going to fix this. All right. Lenny, help. I'm frozen. Good morning. How are you doing, I gotta, everybody? I got to fix this freezing thing. I'll be right back. We haven't had much of a summer. We're behind the redwood curtain up here, and when everybody else has been boiling and on fire, we're on the coast. All the smoke is going your way, and yet we haven't got up above 65. It's literally cold. And everybody goes, oh, I wish we were there. I go, no, you don't. We need some heat. But anyway, morning. Can't wait to get this going this morning. A lot of things happening. And uh, we're going to have some... Uh, guest speakers today so that's guests coming on and and uh getting their wisdom again and uh just wanted to let you know that especially with the fall feast coming up there's just some excitement around the corner hold on tight especially with what's happening on this planet yeah we um we actually had probably the hottest summer that I remember having here. And it was, yeah, like, wow. and it was a long time. It was like not a short, it was like a long summer, all June, all July into August. It was hotter than normal. Plus we're in a drought. And yes, we're, we've been breathing all of the uh, California wildfire air. It's uh jeez. I think we only had one or two days where it was smoking. I'm going, my gosh, it just, it's going Utah way. Yeah. Yeah, and it's pretty bad right now. We're supposed to get some more of it. But anyway, it's uh, it's Tuesday morning. It's the end of the the month. Can you believe that? Man. And we're about what? We're about a week away or so, maybe. 
Yeah. Six. So between we're about six to eight days away from the visible crescent of the new moon on the seventh, right? Uh, probably somewhere around there. Yeah. And uh, what's significant about the coming new moon is that it is the only new moon that is a high Sabbath. It is Yom Turah. It is the, the day of trumpets, the feast of trumpets. And that ushers in the fall feasts. So we have the fall feasts that are starting here within a week or so. And it's, it's, it, it, it basically encapsulates the whole thing that Jesus said, no man knows the day or hour. And uh, it's... It, I don't know the fall feast, man. It's it's uh, they're they're. I mean, obviously, all the feasts are important. Leviticus twenty three is important, uh, and it's also something Christians don't don't know about or do. But the fall feast, man, they're it's the wrapping up of the year, and but I, but there, I don't know. Is there something significant? I mean, everyone's going to say yeah, 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 yeah. But I'm wondering if this feeling I'm having about the fall feast this season is because it's, there's something going on. There's something significant about it. So we have, we have the, the new moon visible crescent is going to show up here in about six to eight days. That will give us Yom Turah, right? Trumpets. And it's a memorial. It's a memorial. We're supposed to look back. Um, Israel's supposed, you know, the most Israel was, um, Instructed to look back as a it's a memorial and it's a high Sabbath. It's the only new moon that's a Sabbath, and they're supposed to look back at the fact that four months ago, a supernatural shofar was blown, calling them to Mount Sinai to make covenant for covenant Shavuot, and they balked at that. And then ten days later, it will be a Yom Yom uh, Yom Kippur Day of Atonement. And then five days later, an eight-day f- feast of celebration and feasting and dancing and music and partying as we're gathered, as he ingathers us under the sukkah, under, the, under his canopy. It's... Hmm. You know, it's indicative of the fact that... Um, it's time to look up because the last three fall feasts just speak of the bride coming for the bridegroom. It really does. And uh, it's the heart cry of where the church should be, Maranatha. And a lot of people, they understand bits and pieces of that, but more than ever, um, this is when there needs to be a call to the body now in the days that we're living because uh, um, more than ever, the redemption, like it says, is drawing nearer and nearer. And we need to be on the outlook. He said, look, he said, look, he said, be ready. Yeah. He said, you better be paying attention. It, it really does speak to his second coming, his, his return. Because, you know, one, you got the, the, you got the blast of the shofar, which is a call to an assembly, call to order, call to war. Uh, the warning, uh, I shared, I shared Josh, Jeremiah six yesterday and he says, I, I, 
we've blown i sent watchmen to blow the shofar and, and you said no i'm not gonna i'm not gonna heed the blast of the shofar i'm just not going to so it all wraps up it all comes into that and then with the whole you know atonement at one mint the whole yom kippur day of atonement you, you know, know in your book don't you cover that in your book the whole hebrew metaphor for no man knows the day or the hour yeah, I do mention it. I do bring it up in uh, my feast book. There you talk go. About all this stuff. Um, yeah, I do because it's it's a. So we believe in the visible crescent. We believe that we're supposed to be looking for the visible crescent of the new moon, and that's when we determine what that it's the beginning of the month, versus going with conjunction or the fixed calendar, and and so. And we have, you know, and I, and I explain why in the book. I literally explain this is why. Here's the, the biblical proof text for that or to that. This is why we do it like that. And, and so because you're waiting, you know, because the new moon can show up in a up to, up to a three-day period, a 72-hour period, which is why they were – oh, here we go. I'm, I'm locked up again here, which is why they were feasting. You can still hear me, right? Yeah. Which is why they were feasting for three days. Uh, with David and and Saul, um, no, right, I'm back um, because they were waiting for that new moon, and it was an actual new moon feast for three days. Um, but because we're you're waiting and you're not sure, right? And then so there's all these tie-ins in the New Testament about Jesus and um, his return, and he comes as a thief, thief in the night. Christianity has totally got that wrong. Christianity teaches that Jesus comes as a thief of the night. And so because of that, we don't know when he's coming. He can come at any moment. That's not actually what it says. It says that he comes as a thief in the night to those in the dark. Yep. <laughs> but those of us that are in the light aren't surprised by his coming back because we know the season of his return. That's right. So... I mean, what a great way to just completely sweep the responsibility of having to know what's going on under the carpet. Christianity just does that over and over and over and over. Maybe we should talk about that. Maybe we should talk about why does Christianity teach and believe that he that no man knows when he's coming back, and that um, and there's no, and that he can come back at any time. No, he's going to stick to the schedule his dad came up with. He said he just can't show up on a Wednesday. You know what I'm saying? Um, you know, he just can't show up in the middle of a seven-year cycle. There's, there are rules. There's a, there's a system in place that God established through Moses that Jesus adheres to. Um, now, when he talks about no man knows the day or the hour, he's not talking about his return. He's talking about the end, the end of days. There's two things he's talking about there. You've got... Jesus returns to save Israel from her enemies. That's the second coming. And that's another thing Christianity does, uh, mainstream Christianity doesn't know about or like. Because God's not interested in nation states, and he's definitely not interested in that apartheid state of uh, Israel. And, um, you know, he's not, his kingdom's not of this world, and they miss, they totally, oh my gosh. But, so Jesus' second return is coming back to deliver Israel from her physical enemies. That's, that's, the, that's the second coming. We're supposed to know when that happens. We're supposed to be aware of that. He, he doesn't come as a, as a thief in the night to those in the light. He comes as a thief to those in the dark. We're supposed to be aware of the season of his return. 
And then he, he establishes uh, his millennium reign for a thousand years. And then at the end of that thousand reign, that thousand year reign, it's the end of the age. And the world is destroyed by fire. And then there's a new heaven and a new earth. That's when we don't know. That's right. And you know, Paul slaps the church right upside the head because he says, don't let them judge you in your Sabbaths and new moons. We are supposed to observe the new moon. And they've twisted that to say, oh, you don't need the Sabbaths and the new moons. Right. It is totally out of context of what he was saying. And there you go. It's a pretext and it's false doctrine. And the Christian church, again, hacked that 1,700 years ago. They yeah, they, it's just it it's a hack job. We're following a hack job. And, yeah. and the fact that people don't know about it, that's why, that's why we do what we do here. So, hey, social media people, that's all of you, like literally all of you. If you're on Facebook, be sure to, to follow the page that you're on, whether it's the Chameleon Church Facebook page that you're on right now or the Travelogue Network page right now. Uh, like that Facebook page. Uh, be, you know, Subscribe to whatever it is that Facebook does. And if you're on YouTube, thank you for watching us on YouTube on the Chameleon Church uh, YouTube channel. Um, be sure to subscribe, hit that bell, share, like, hit those like buttons, hit those little hearts. No sad faces, please. No angry faces, please. <laughs> you can do whatever the heck you want. And uh, be sure to share it with your friends. Let your people, your friends know, your friends and your family know that we're doing this. We've been doing this for three and a half years, every Tuesday morning. I don't know how that's happened, but it's true. And, um, and, 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 and like and share and follow and subscribe and hit the notifications and blah, blah, blah. So, yes, the fall feasts are coming. We're like... A week or so, we're like days away from the beginning of the fall feast, from the Feast of Trumpets, um, from Day of Atonement, and from Feast of Tabernacles. It is coming. It is, dude, we got so much to do. Yep, calendar, baby. It's all in your calendar. Tells you how and when and Everything's in there. Everything's in there. Yep. And so the feast, the fall feast, People are probably wondering, well, why, aren't, why isn't he talking about the, the, the new year, Rosh Hashanah and, you know, apples and honey? Well, because that's a Babylonian thing. That's like taking Hanukkah and turning it into Christmas. That's exactly what it is. Uh, they left Babylon with Babylonian month names, and they came up with a dual new year, just like Babylon. They just copied Babylon. It's not biblical. None of n- That you will not find in the Bible. You cannot have a new year, a beginning of a year, when the Bible says it's literally the end of the year. And I explain all of that. I explain the confusion, the how, the what, and the why in my Facebook. Be sure to get one of those at Planet Blue Media, and then, if, and then you saw there's a 20, 20% discount off fall, you know, the fall thing. Anyway, hey, we should talk to some some we should talk to some very dear friends of mine that don't necessarily follow these calendar dates and see what why the hell they're uh, why why they why they're on their way to hell in a hand handbasket and why they won't submit and, and, and do what my book says to do. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> Isn't that a great intro, Bob? <laughs> wow, thank you. I'm honored, I think. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> no, man. See, I can do that because I know you guys personally and you know that I love you and that I'm, all, I'm just talking smack. That's funny. Oh, my gosh. So, Chris, tell us why you're not saved. <laughs> oh, wow. 
So we have a couple guests today. We have once again Chris Rosentrader's back from the, the Great Northwest. He's uh, he's he's in Chopville. Is is it still is Chop still going on over there? Not officially. Not not officially. You still got some Muppets running around calling themselves Antifa. Now, mind you, Antifa isn't a real organization. It really isn't a Democrat. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Wow. Crimes yeah. up, murders up. I mean. Wow. Shocking, huh? Jeez. Yeah, I love that. I love it. I love it when things don't exist, but you see the uh, the, the the shockwave of it all. And we've got uh, Pastor Bob Adams. You guys have seen him on, on this show. Bob, Bob has a show on the Travelogue Network. He took a summer hiatus because. Yeah. And uh, you, when's your show come back, Bob? Uh, it's coming back next Wednesday. Wow. So yeah, kids are going to be back in school and got a eighth, seventh, and kindergartner. So Whoa. summer's been a little busy. Wow. <laughs> And so that's a Wednesday on the Travelog Network as well. It's, and tell us about your show real quick. Uh, so what I do is I call it the Outlaw Pulpit. And basically, I've uh, and this month is marked 16 years as the senior lead pastor of a church. Um, but I've been in credentialed pastor, however that looks, for the past 27 years, youth ministry for nine of that. And um so I'm just sharing some uh, thoughts I've learned along the way and talk about the church and not afraid to take some pot shots at the church, the, the brick and mortar model of it and everything, and um, just kind of being upfront with it. So uh, that's, that, that's where I'm coming from with the Outlaw Pulpit. Cool. And that's uh, and Wednesdays at? Uh, that's Wednesdays at, I believe, we, uh, we're scheduled for noon, I believe it is. Is it noon central? Yes. Okay. Yeah, remember we got time zones here. We have to actually deal with. Yeah, yeah. All right, so, yeah, I've seen a, seen a lot of lot of. Uh, I guess the theological word for it is crap uh, <laughs> regarding um, ministry and uh, being in the church. And I've gone through Alan, you and I've shared it on here before. Two massive storms in ministry where I almost left it. And yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm very upfront and talk about surviving this thing and um, that it really is a beautiful thing to be a part of. But there are that's. Uh, it's woes and uh, struggles and all of these things. And apparently I need to work on my holidays and all of that as well. So, <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> and so, and so you're on the travel on network noon central on Wednesdays coming yep. back next week, the eighth, I believe. Right. Yes, that's right. So we should, yeah, it should be right after the new moon or, or in the middle of the new moon. So, um, so yeah, Bob's, uh, is it Assemblies of God? Yeah, like, yeah. Technically, been, I was born and raised Assemblies of God, and uh, that's who I'm with. Um, and <clears throat> that was one of the things that we struggled with early on. Was I told the uh, church, the, the the mothership, the AG headquarters, that um, really struggling with that and putting it on our church sign and stuff. They said just just leave it off. It's fine. So you know, I'm affiliated with them, but uh, we function differently i guess right. you would say yeah so so we got an, uh so bob's uh, assemblies of god technically but whatever um i know bob because of where he lives he used to go to the corner, cornerstone festival yeah and we met at the cornerstone festival i believe that's where we met well actually dial it back a little further when i was a youth pastor in milwaukee i brought in spyglass blue oh you okay know, if you remember that and that's that's when we officially met. I mean, I saw you at the oh, Mustard okay. Seed Cafe with Scattered Few and stuff. But oh, wow, wow, that's right, 94. Yeah, and um, but uh, yeah, when I brought you into this, to uh, the youth group as Spyglass Blue, that's what uh, 
That was actually a turning point for me when I promoted that to the other AG youth groups and they looked at me like I was a sinner. So, yeah. That's why I get fired. Yeah, you're welcome. Well, <laughs> what did you say, Chris? You. That's when I got fired. Great. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Somebody said a few years ago, what kind of apostle are you? You take, you, you like, you like bring churches down. You don't raise them up. <laughs> I'm like, hey, man. Hey, um, we even had you up here in Wapaka as uh, Ministries Walking, so that was a yeah. cool time. Right. So, I, yeah, so that's right. We You did come to the show that we did in Milwaukee in 94. Yep. And, I, and yes, I do remember you bringing us in as Spyglass Blue and obviously as Ministries Walking and then and seeing you throughout the years at Cornerstone Festival. Yes. So we have a history there. And we've got Lenny Parada. Uh, those, you guys already know Lenny. Lenny's a co-host here at the show. He's my old pastor from L.A. Uh, we go back. He's married my, my, my wife and I. So we go way back like 1987, something like that, 87. Um, and he's a, a was a vineyard pastor. And then Chris. And both, so. What's that? Vineyard and Calvary both. So. Yeah. Lenny was actually my pastor during the whole Scattered Feud debacle. Nice. Yeah. And uh, and then Chris Rosentrader, as you know, um, he played drums for Spyglass Blue, the original incarnation of Spyglass Blue. He's on both the Spyglass Blue albums, the the main, uh, the main LPs, not the EP. Uh, what else? Uh, he he uh, operated uh, Storyville Coffee up in Seattle. Uh, and you have a, a nonprofit called Clash? Clash Creative, yes. Clash Creative. And uh, so he, has, he does that, and he's got a – I can't tell you that he has a Monday night podcast because you're supposed to be watching us over at the Exodus Ingathering in, in uh, devotional on Monday nights. <laughs> and, uh, and so we, we're talking about the fall feast because the fall feast start in about a week. And I – as you know, if you know the, if you know anything about the Chameleon Church Show, we literally do not know what we're t- going to talk about until about this time of day. You know, probably around five or ten minutes after eight, after the top of the hour, we go. God goes ding, and it's like boom, and it's like full on for forty minutes. Holy Spirit comes down, you know, and it's and then at the end of the show, we're like, oh wow, I don't even know how that happened. So once again, literally do not know what's going on. We, I asked Chris to come back because people liked Chris and wanted to see him back here. So I'm like, hey, Chris, come on back. That's why he's back. Uh, Bob, I asked you to be a part because your show's coming up next week, and we want people to know that you're a part of what we're doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're all you know, part of this little Travelogue Network deal, and uh, we want everyone to know that your show's going to be on Wednesday, night, uh, Wednesday afternoon, uh, high noon. Um, the Outlaw Pulpit. That's why you're here. You're not here for what I'm about to say and do to you. (laughs) 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 I'm like the guinea pig here, I feel. (laughs) We literally do not know what we're going to do when we do this show. But the fall feasts are coming. And I know you guys, and we're friends, and I love you. You're my brothers in in, in Messiah, regardless. we can go out to lunch and you can have a bacon, lettuce, and tomato sandwich with real bacon in it. And I'm not going to say anything because it's not my, my, not my deal, not my problem, uh, not my monkeys, what, not my circus. What was that? <laughs> but 
the fall feasts are coming, and as a pastor, Bob, your church doesn't subscribe to what? Correct, and please, obviously, do correct me when I'm if I'm wrong. I love being wrong. Uh, your church, in particularly, doesn't necessarily subscribe or prescribe to God's biblical calendar or His feast days, and you do what we inherited as Reformed Catholics, and you do the normal uh, Easter, Christmas, and I don't think you guys do Lent though. No, it, it Lent isn't. That's uh, something that they even I was even raised with was right. Lent. So yeah, but but the but the Catholic Mass of Christ and Easter you guys do do as a church as opposed to Hanukkah and Passover. And if this is uncomfortable, and if I'm making you uncomfortable, stop me because that's not what I'm trying to do. I love the fact that I love the fact that the people watching are like, wait, because see, they know they hear they hear me talk about this stuff on like the Root Awakening Shabbat Night Live that I have, uh, the majority of my Christian friends don't subscribe to what I subscribe to. They don't believe what I believe. They, they don't eat clean. They, keep, they don't keep the feet. They, and, you know, I tell these, these things to people, and, they, and, so, and that makes me like a bad Torah guy because I shouldn't be fraternizing with Christians. Can you believe that? They, uh, they actually, a lot of the Torah community actually hate Christians, and they're like, they're like, it's weird. It's like bizarre, bizarre, weird what they've done with this thing. And I'm like, everything, every way I can stick it to them, I'm going to stick it to them. Um, but Bob, you and I, we love and respect each other mm-hmm. and, and, and honor each other, even though you might not eat biblically clean and you might not keep the feast like we do. And Chris, vice versa. And, and, I, and, I, and I don't have a problem with that because I believe – just like salvation is a spiritual revelation, I believe uh, the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues and the other spiritual gifts, prophecy and all that stuff, is a spiritual revelation. And I know for a fact that coming back to the commandments, coming back to Torah, is, the, is in fact the revival everyone's been praying for for the last 30 years since the Jesus movement that came in like eight, 2006 and the majority missed it. But I mean, going, coming, going back to the scriptures, everything God told Israel to do, that's like the biggest revival we could ever have next to like the Jesus movement. Well, <laughs> and I'm convinced no, no, of that. What's that? I was going to say now, now you're dealing with an AG or here. They thought the revival happened in 95 down in Brownsville. <laughs> right so a return to god's word yeah. which is all he ever asked israel to do throughout the, the the whole old testament i mean ever since joshua took over the campaign from moses it was always come back to the word i mean i read jeremiah 6 yesterday on my uh two minute warning and it's like you're at a crossroads you know inquire of the ancient paths when 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 what we're talking about is called ancient paths in Jeremiah's day, wow! Why is it? Why is God calling it ancient? Well, because it is. It, it predates Adam, and that's something most people don't know. It predates Adam. It predates Moses. It's we're talking about the ways of God, His way, and it's that's not even a Jesus movement thing or a hippie thing or a New Testament thing. That's an Old Testament thing. His way is the way of Torah. We see that in the Proverbs, right? It's like. Um, I think it's a spiritual revelation, just like any of this else is. So I don't ex- 
I don't think you guys are going to be looking for the new moon in about six or seven days and I, and blowing the shofar. And I don't believe either of you guys, for example, are going to build a sukkah, but, but that's okay. So how does this jive as my friends, as my brothers, and we've known each other for decades, what's your perspective on this stuff? And I think that's really good for our audience to hear because they're, they're struggling with pastors and family and friends and, and even spouses that, don't agree with them. Now that's the hardest part. I know of families that are divided between about this stuff. I know marriage marriages are divided between this stuff. I know that for a fact. Um, what kind of hope can you give my audience, our audience, when it comes to a loved one or a spouse or a son or a daughter that thinks they're in a cult because they watch the new moon, don't eat pork, and are going to build a TP in the backyard in two weeks. <laughs> Who wants to go first? What an intro, right? Well, I love I love you, Alan. I love you too, Chris. I never know what you're going to say. I know. <laughs> I, I can speak for the fellowship I'm a part of. Um, <clears throat> again, uh, just to clarify, the Assemblies of God doesn't call themselves a denomination. It's a fellowship. Uh, whatever. <laughs> so it's uh, it's a denomination. You know, it is a denomination, fellowship, whatever. Um, what's interesting, though, is that the the things that you've talked about aren't necessarily something that th- th- this movement and a lot of other denominations would write off. It's just that I wasn't, you know, and a lot of people aren't educated in it. Um, what's interesting is that what, what I've seen over Easter over the last probably five years as a trend now in, again, I can only speak to Assembly of God churches, um, but what they're doing now on Easter Sunday or Good Friday even is that some of these bigger churches that have gymnasiums, they converted into um what one youth pastor termed, and now it's stuck, called uh, an, an atmosphere of Gethsemane. Um, or, and, uh, and what they do is they actually, they've loved what the Catholics do with the Stations of the Cross, that now the Assemblies of God churches, it's not mandated or anything, but they actually set up a reflective area with little walls and everything that have the Stations of the Cross. Um, and so it, it's almost like we weren't taught these things growing up. I know I wasn't, and yeah. I had a great upbringing. My parents loved, um, it, you know, we loved going to church and all that stuff. I have nothing bad to say about my upbringing, but um, all it really takes for some people is just to like for you, Alan, if, if we, if, if it ever worked out that we brought you in, we've been talking about that for like five years, a long time. Yes. And, you know, just to have an educational time because you see remnants of it through guest speakers. Like there's a ministry called Jews for Jesus. Mm -hmm. Um, And if they, when a speaker like that comes in, it does the whole, um, uh, what communion looks like, what the shofar represents. All of a sudden, everyone's like, wow, this is really cool. They don't say, well, we weren't taught this. So they re- they do recognize it's in the Bible, but they've never been taught this before. And so once it's taught, they'll glom onto it and observe it and really and, and quite honestly enjoy it because it takes what our upbringing was um, 
and like anything, you know, potentially could get stale and it's adding a whole new fresh revelation to uh, what dynamic this could bring to our our uh, walk with, with God. So I think that's a, an important thing. So it's not that we look at anything bad or would look at somebody who looked at the new moon or built a TP or anything like that as bad. It's just they don't we haven't, we haven't been taught that way. So right. it, it would be refreshing to actually have a seminar or something like that done. You know, I, I think it would be great on a grand scale, but it would be, you know, even on the local body level, just to do an enlightening time of, you know, this is what it means to, to, to live this out. Yeah. It, that's see, that's awesome. And that's why I ask these questions. Um, yes. I, uh, I, I've been saved 40 years or so, you know, 40 plus years. I wasn't, we, our church didn't do this. None of, none of the churches I went to knew this stuff or did this stuff, except for the last church I went to in Texas, the leadership did know about it, but they didn't teach their people. But the leaders, for the most part, they did Shabbat and maybe Passover, but that's about it. And it's, and it is interesting, though, though, right? I mean, because you probably have done this at least once, right, Bob? As a pastor, you've brought somebody in to, to lead you in a Passover Seder, maybe? Yeah, we did that. Um, actually, um, a, a, a medical professional, Dr. Len Markman, um, he came in and brought the, the what it taught what it was all about. And uh, he even got into um, talk about uh, quite some quite a bit of heavy stuff, you know, um, regarding the Jewish look at like end times and, you know, everything like that and taught the proper way of communion. Uh, I believe that was it matzah he brought in. And, and yeah, matzah, unleavened bread. Yeah, he brought all that in, the meaning behind it and all of that. It was it was actually very cool. Yeah. So, right. So we have these type of little glimpses. Mm -hmm. um, I liked what you said about it could become rote. It could become like this thing. You know what? The most exciting thing about walking out God's calendar is that it doesn't, it isn't, it doesn't become, well, I'm, no, I'm not sure what word you use, but. Well, like stations of the cross thing at, at the churches that I, I would just label that as it's a fad right now, but. Yeah, I, I can see what you're saying. It becomes a lifestyle. It, it, it is a lifestyle, and it, and it's and it's an it's actually the lifestyle God set up for His believers to walk in, because it's like, for example, and I've used this as an example. When I when I was trying to come back to Jesus, I'm like, look, I need I need to repent. I need to come back to Jesus. I'm like in a backslidden state, and I want to come back. People couldn't actually they didn't know what to do about that. They weren't sure how to walk me into that process. And then I was like, and then my and then the, my next jump was, how do I? What's what's the best way to do this thing? Because you know, discipleship's out the window. Oh, you know, pray, read the Bible, don't sin. Okay, how do I do that? And they don't have a system for that. They don't have an actual infrastructure on how to, how, how do you disciple people to walk godly year round, you know? Mm -hmm. Whereas this is, this is that, uh, pro, this is that program. And God established it with Moses thousands of years ago for his people, right? Um, you gotta, you gotta, you, you have to reboot every week on the Sabbath, stop everything. Don't work, you know, uh, chill out, love me, love your family. You know, it's not, it's not religious. It's not legalistic, but he goes, you need, I built you in a way that you need to have a re reboot every week. So once a week, 
I am faced with God. And he says there's four reasons why he created the Sabbath, and they're all about our holiness and our relationship with him. It's amazing. And then once a month, you're going to look at the new moon and know that it's a, it's a, you know, we're, we're doing, we're starting this cycle again. So, you, so once a month, you have this big God cosmic reminder with the new moon. And then every week you have this God reminder with the, with the, with the Shabbat. And then you have seven feasts throughout the year of like, of worship and communion with him and all that. And then you got the Omer count for seven weeks leading up to Pentecost, Shavuot. It's like this whole cycle. And then you've got like two, four months. Well, then you have a four month. All right, go and do it now because you've been equipped. And then after Tabernacles, you've got what? October, November, December, January, February, March, maybe about a six month period of time where you're on your own, not on your own, but you've got all these you know weekly and monthly reminders before it starts over again. Um, so it's, it's very exciting. It doesn't become, um, trite. Does that make sense? Yeah. Chris, what do you think? I'm sorry, go ahead. The early Jesus movement was filled with this. You got to remember, if you go back, I remember Chuck Smith and Jack Hayford, every time it came to Christmas and Easter, they taught out of the book saying it's pagan, but they, that's as far as they would go. They wouldn't go any farther. They taught on Saturnalia. They taught on all the issues that we know that crept into the early church, but they wouldn't go any farther. And, Chish, I remember Keith Green, when he started his his community, he was our first worship leader when I was in the with Ken Gullickson in the Benedict Canyon uh, Church. It was a, the 20th century woman's church. There were 16 of us, and he was our worship leader. He was the first worship leader. And we all laughed at him. They go, this guy's never going to make it, man. Listen to his voice. You know, the reality was is he kept Sabbath. And when he started his community before he died, one of the things they did was they would continue to keep Sabbath as, do as, as well as doing everything else. And there was a lot of influence into those us now that are in our almost 70, 70s that are uh, um, lived back then, we had that edge. We're saying there's something more, there's something more, there's something more. And that was instilled into all those Jesus movement people on the West Coast. People don't realize that. Right. So the ministry I got saved through is a, is a Jesus movement ministry, gospel outreach, and they did not do Christmas or Easter because of the paganism involved. But that's as far as they went. I do remember in 1982, they brought in some Hebraic dancing types uh, who taught us Hebraic dance. But that's like a 1982. But that's as far as it went. They knew nothing about eating clean. They knew nothing about the feast. Yeah. They didn't even, they didn't even do Passover. Yeah. No. Were you going to, Bob, were you, did you, were you going to add something? Nope. Nope. I, did, I love hearing the stories about the Jesus movement. Yeah, 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 right? It's our roots, right? Yeah. But, hey, real quick, though, um, if you're watching and don't know, uh, September 17th, in the middle of Tabernacles, I will be on the Arut Awakening Ministries uh, weekly television show called Shabbat Night Live <clears throat> uh, with Michael Rood's ministry. And they're interviewing me four Fridays in a row, uh, four Friday nights. You can watch it on YouTube. Uh, we'll have the links. Uh, it's real easy, A Root Awakening uh, on YouTube or Shabbat Night Live, if you do searches for that. And I'll be on for four weeks in a row um, promoting our feast manual, I mean our uh, field manual, 
Exodus in Gathering Field Manual. It's a devotional. We're promoting this on the Root Awakening show, as well as our calendar. So that's going to be a September 17th, four weeks in a row. You get to see me talking about this stuff. I love the, the Root Awakening people. That ministry has been a huge blessing. I mean, they're just, they're just a huge blessing. Great group of people there. So, Chris, what do you have to think? Of, what do you have to say about this? We, we just heard from Bob. Yeah, I like, uh, nice to meet you, Bob. I don't know if we met in Milwaukee. I don't know if I was on that trip, but I like hearing your story. And I have a heart for pastors, so good on you. Blessings. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, I, I have a lot to, I could talk about, but I think I want to answer your question first, where you were talking about uh, spouses specifically that are following the way and resistance from family members or yeah, friends. It's a, it's, a, it's a crazy thing. The, how I would encourage that would be love. And it's not up to you to change minds or change hearts. And, uh, it first Corinthians seven ish, eight ish, where he's talking about spouses. Mm-hmm. I've, I've, I've been thinking about the scripture a lot because in one of those, uh, I, I lead some online groups and, and there are many people struggling in their marriage that have grown up in the church and that would call themselves Christians. And, and I don't, me and my wife talk about a lot. Like, I don't know how anyone already that doesn't love the Lord, why they get married or why they stay, how they stay married. It, it's, it's a difficult thing. Um, and you need the Lord in it. And what, what I think is interesting about that scripture where he's talking about uh, if you have an unbelieving spouse, if, if they'll put up with you, basically is what he's saying, stay with them because they can be saved because of you. And so I think it's, what's that mean now? What's that? They sanct- you sanctify them. Yeah, I think that's a fascinating thing, like where you're serving them, you're loving them, you're interceding for them, you're you're like like we give our kids up to the Lord. God, if if I'm if I'm in charge, they're going to be screwed up. So yeah, show me how to lead, how how to love them, and I give them to your graces. So I think there's just something about loving them and not making it your job and taking on the weight to like I gotta convince them I'm right. I got to have them do this. I got to force this on them because scripture shows you that's not going to probably work, but it's, it's out of love and service and, and humility. And I, and, and if you're reading that thinking where it says unbelieving an unbelieving spouse, I mean, how much more should two believing spouses should you operate in love? And so I guess that's my, my way to answer your question is that it's about love and, and grace. I, I agree. And it's, and it's real frightening. Some of the stories I hear about these marriages where one does believe the way we do, you know, they're both Christians, but only one has actually figured out this Torah part. And it's crazy. Uh, again, because they were probably nominal Christians to begin with, they bring that same religious, weird, wacky spirit into this as well. And so they become really goofy and legalistic about it all, which is like, no, 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 no. You know, um, it's okay if you go with your, so I'm going to call them unbelieving, but I don't mean faith. I mean, Torah. Let's, let's just, so, so, so the believing Torah is usually the wife. 
Um, and they, and I've, you wouldn't believe the stories I've heard. Like, is it, is it okay if I go to my niece's birthday party with my husband and kids on the Sabbath? It's like, are you high? They won't go to, it's like, oh, we're on vacation and they want to go to the zoo and it's the Sabbath. And I just stayed in my hotel room while the, while my husband and the kids went, I'm like, what are you doing? That's not what this is about. That's not what this is. That's not what this is about. And so it's like they, because they're clueless, they, they go to this extreme legalistic position and they're li- literally just creating a bigger wedge and a gap between them and their, their untorah believing spouse. And it's like, and I'm like screaming, no, no, don't do that. It's, it's crazy. It, 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 I know uh, of a story of a woman who was doing, you know, doing Shabbat and all that stuff. And the husband wasn't, but he was incredibly supportive of, of it. He was like, you know, um, doing the, he was doing it right. You know, he was, he wasn't opposing it, but he, when he was supporting her in it. Well, I don't know if you guys know what the two house movement is about, but the two house movement is, is a, is a total joke. It's about, um, the two sticks, right? Two houses, Ephraim and and anyway, it's a big mess, these people. Well, she got into that and she leaves her husband over that. And it's like, you're, you're, you're absolutely completely doing this 1000% wrong. So I have to absolutely agree with you, Chris, that it's, it's about love. And, uh, it's not about, like I said, I have a lot of Christian friends that don't believe like this and we go out to lunch and they eat unbiblically and I don't, and it's not, I don't bring it up. No, it's not an issue. It's not an issue. It's not. Who, who am I to judge another man's servant? I mean, it's like, it's like all this stuff. It's like, no, it doesn't say not to eat with those that do that. <laughs> uh, it's, it's, it says not to eat like that. So I don't, you know, and when Peter said he ate with Gentiles, he, that's what that means. I eat with Gentiles. I eat with a bunch of people all the time that don't, that don't eat like I do. But. So we've got, we've got a new moon coming up in about six to eight days. That is a high Sabbath that launches the fall feast, and it is known as the Feast of Trumpets. And it is a memorial day for us to remember the supernatural blast of the shofar on Sinai. And they got louder. So Moses is instructed to tell Israel, by, he's instructed by God to tell Israel I'm going to meet with you in three days. So prepare the people, have them sanctify themselves these next three days, have them washed. And he tells them what, what that means. Have them wash their clothes, have them bathe and have no sexual relations in three days. I'm going to meet with you and I'm, and I'm requiring a, a, a meeting with, with, with you. Uh, don't come near the mountain or you'll be shot with an arrow. And then there's, we have found depictions of in red of archers on the rocks around Mount Sinai. We have, they have been found basically caution signs. Don't get any closer. You will be shot. Yeah. No animal or beast was supposed to get near the mountain because God was coming down on it. And three days later, they heard a blast of a shofar and it grew louder and louder and louder and louder. And it wasn't a man blowing it. I pause because there's a supernatural shofar in our future. And uh, I'm afraid a lot of Christians don't know what it means or what it, what it, who's blowing it or that it's even happening. And uh, 
which is one of the reasons why I do what I do, because, you know, Paul says we're supposed to provoke Israel to salvation. We can't provoke Israel to salvation because we don't know anything about Israel. And we don't understand why they won't receive Jesus as their Messiah. And that's because the Messiah that we've been selling them for 2,000 years it contradicts Deuteronomy 13. We have Jesus dressed up eating a ham sandwich and looking like an, a Gentile, like an Egyptian. You know, and so they're like, well, I can't have anything to do with that because that's not godly. And God tells me not to have anything to do with that in Deuteronomy 13. And it's true. We can't provoke Israel to salvation like Paul mandate, mandates us to if we have no idea what the premise of our faith is. And it's not, sure the hell isn't Catholicism. And because Christianity doesn't know the, the premise of our faith, they don't even know the roots of our faith. We don't even know. There's a great scene in the second, in the second season of The Chosen where Jesus is out front in a little booth. It's essentially a sukkah, actually. And he's out there ministering all day and all night. And in the back, and behind that, like backstage, is their encampment. And it shows all the daily going ons of looking for food and how, and they're broke and they're wondering how they're going to survive and what's, what's going to happen and all the infighting. And, and they're, and they're getting, and they're, and the disciples are gathered around the fireplace, the fire, and they're talking and they're even talking about eat, trying pork, eating pork. Do you guys, did you guys see that episode? Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Tell me you're watching The Chosen. <coughs> I am, but I'm not in season two yet. Okay. Bob, have you seen what I'm talking about? I, I humbly admit I've never watched The Chosen. Oh, jeez. <laughs> so I, I, I need to, but I have not. Is, I, I think I have cried, no, wept almost with every episode. It's it's that. Hmm. It's that. It's you. been great to watch with my kids. It's, I know, right? It's I know. Great, great discussion. Same here with the grands. So anyway, in this particular episode in season two the disciples are sitting around the campfire and they're talking any normal christian watching that episode is going to be and i've I've explained it like this remember when fight club came out when fight club came out ikeas didn't exist in middle america they only existed on the east coast and the west coast that means 80 percent of the united states of america had no idea what fight club was about they don't know what when 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 Brad Pitt calls Ed Norton IKEA boy. They have no idea what he's talking about. When in the beginning of Fight Club, when Ed Norton's walking through the apartment and it looks like an IKEA catalog, they have no idea what's going on because they don't know what an IKEA is. No one knew what an IKEA was when that movie came out, unless they lived in L.A. or New York. In the same way, when they're watching this episode, they don't understand. They don't. They don't. Eighty percent. They don't understand what eighty percent of the conversation is between the disciples because they're talking about Torah and they're talking about Judaism and they don't know the difference between the two. Christians don't know the difference. They don't know when what's Torah, God's word and what's man's tradition when it comes to Talmud or, or rabbinical Judaism. And they're having these conversations around the fireplace and, and it, and you're, and you're, and you're going to lose at least 80 to 90% of Christendom because they won't be able to follow the conversation or the dialogue because they have no idea what they're talking about, nor do they know what's tradition, what's rabbinical, what's Talmudic, or what's actually the word of God, Torah. And it's a great, it, it, it's a, so, so yes, Bob, you're a thousand percent correct. It's not like, 
I don't know, you know, we don't know. And so that's why we do what we do here. This is why we do, this is why we write the books. This is why everything I do. We even talked about, I was doing this in Scattered Few. Syndesis has Hebrew words and phrases in that, in, the, in their lyrics. And we're referencing this information 30 years ago. Because it's the word of God and because our premise is based on Reformed Catholicism and not the Hebraicness of the actual scriptures, uh, we don't necessarily quite understand what God is doing, how God's going to do it, or what it is that we're supposed to be doing today. So this supernatural blast of a shofar, it's going to happen again. It says so. It says so in the New Testament. As New Testament believers, we've all heard about that trumpet that's going to, right? Mm-hmm. That's actually a shofar that's going to be blast. And what's going to happen in the next week in God's biblical calendar points to that. So the, the, the spring feasts and the one summer feast, they've been fulfilled through Messiah and the Holy Spirit. The fall feasts haven't because he's, he hasn't come back yet. The fall feasts still are in need of being fulfilled because Jesus hasn't come back yet and we're not in his seventh Sabbath, right? We're not in his, sub, in his Sabbath. Remember how Hebrew talks about he's coming and it's a Sabbath? That's what like the millennium year, the millennium reign is like that seventh day, that's, that's Sabbath, that sabbatical year for a thousand years, his, his physical reign here on earth. Um, it all begins with a blast of the shofar. That's what this shofar blast in the next week or so depicts, represents. It represents the prophetic. The fall feasts are prophetic because they haven't been fulfilled yet. You see what I'm saying? And then there's the blast of the shofar, and then are being prepared at one mint, atonement, to be received and ingathered by him during Sukkot. The, so Jesus was born during Sukkot. He was born uh, in, during the Feast of Tabernacles, um, and he came to tabernacle with us. And so there's a, that dual. Um, he was not only born during Sukkot, but he's coming back to gather us. And it talks about this all throughout the New Testament. It talks about it in Hebrews. It talks about it in Revelation, how there's this big hoopah, and there's a big tent and a big sukkah over us. Uh, in, in our future, in, in Revelation, it talks about this. I explain all of this in, in this book. And um, so it's my position that it is grotesquely important for Christians to understand and know this stuff so that it's re- I, 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 I make, I believe it's the equivalent of the Ten Virgins. All ten virgins knew when and where to meet him, but half of them missed him because they didn't have the proper tools or understanding. I know that's a drastic thing to say, and most people would think, well, that's, that's just that's a bit much, Alan. Yeah. Um, if we don't know the day or the hour, he'll come as a thief in the night. We have to know these things so he doesn't come as a thief, so that we're aware of his return. Chris, did you want to say something? Uh, yeah, maybe. I, I was thinking of that scripture earlier when you were talking about the thief and the day or the hour. 
where where you you have these virgins that they didn't know the exact day, but they were alert to, like they were set up for the party, right? We know he's they're out. He's coming back. He's coming back sooner or later. Where the other virgins were, that's a good scripture. I think that's a that's a very timely. Timmer Timmer has this question that was you know uh, he's asking out what's the what's the harm in um, celebrating a, a holiday? You know that's in the Bible, and I think I was thinking before that. I think it's a marketing problem. <laughs> I, I mean, I mean that's like like it's like wait, wait uh, we got to rebrand ourselves. <laughs> not in that way, but like it's like I do know a, what you mean. And 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 maybe Bob relates to this. Um, like I like I grew up in the church. Thankfully, thank you, Lord, for favor. Like both my grandparents are Wesleyan pastors. My dad. I grew up in the Nazarene church. My dad was born Wesleyan, born Wesleyan. He grew up as a Wesleyan too, but then I grew up in the Nazarene church and I, you don't hear this stuff usually like you, you hear, you know, you go, you go to church every Sunday morning and evening, and then you go to Bible study on Tuesday and whatever on Wednesday, like you, you grew up in this, but you don't, I remember the first time I heard that, like uh, just like the connection between you know Saul Paul he grew up as a Jew and then and then just hearing like oh it's a Jewish it's a Jewish religion and then you grew up you grow up hearing it's like the, the connections to Judaism is more cute or it's more like an illustration versus versus no this is still a thing and so then when you have someone like you run it like I ran into Alan you're just like, whoa, slow down. Like, whoa, like there's a, it's like this fire hose of information. And if you've grown up in the church and all of a sudden in the worst case, you're being told like everything you believe is wrong in, in the, in the least extreme case, it's like, Oh, you got all these rules now that you got to add to your life. It's just super overwhelming. And so the marketing problem is, is a way to say, how do I enter like, how do I start? How is it? How is it? And then, as you know, the other question I was going to ask, Alan, is like, what's the top three to five scriptures that you feel are misinterpreted? Because when you read, you know, Romans 14 or 1 Corinthians, where, where he's just talking about meat. Yeah, Romans 14. It like, And it's like love. So when we're talking about spouses, you love someone and it becomes like this, but he says, don't eat meat. Don't like, you don't have to be circumcised, but like, what do you mean? That's all gone. And so people just get hung up on the right. tactical versus right. guess what guys Shafar is going to get blown. And what does that mean? Get your eyes up because it's all coming back to Jesus. Right. And so people get distracted and in the weeds versus it's all about Jesus and the marketing problem. And maybe this is the question, Alan, what's the point? What are you missing out on? And, and rather than it becomes about rules and all this thing, it's right. really about what, how do you make your heart bigger to respond to Jesus and what, right. what, what grieves your heart the most about it? And it's not because you're eating bacon. It's because what, what's the, you're, maybe, you're, I'll just, maybe I'll just leave that marketing question yeah. there. Like what, how do you enter? How do you, how do you come into it? Fully understand what you're saying. Uh, What's the point? The point is there's a whole chunk of our faith that we're not doing, we're not being obedient to. Uh, 
And I started doing this stuff. And, and so the Holy Spirit told me in 1986, he started revealing this stuff to me in 1986. And he said, we're going to get our, we're going to get spanked. As Christians, we're going to get spanked because we're literally not doing anything we've been told to do. It's exactly what happened to Israel. See, God said, do this. Israel didn't do it. They got spanked. Bad. Same thing's going to happen to us. There's, there's no way we're not going to. And that's why Paul's warning us in Romans about being grafted in. We're not the root. They're the root. We've been grafted in. If it's so, if it's, if it's so easy for God to remove the natural branch, how much easier is it for him to remove the wild branch? I mean, Paul says this flat out in Romans, right? So what's the point? Well, the point is there's a whole level of obedience we're not walking in. Two, I believe the point is there's a reason why Christianity isn't, there's no longevity in Christianity. I believe that the reason why Christianity is seen, is experiencing the perversion that it's experiencing, I believe the reason that the majority of the people that I was that were saved 40 years ago along with me are no longer in the faith, I know for a fact that the majority of what's wrong with Christianity is that they're not doing the Word of God. Wow, what a concept. Now, Alan, can, I, can I interject something? Please, yeah. Um, and if I can't, if you don't, if you prefer, I don't do it. That's totally fine. Is it okay to mention another book? Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> in in uh, I, I wasn't sure. <laughs> so that's funny. Um, there was a book written uh, quite a few years ago, and it hit home for a lot of us that were steeped in for in, like in my story in the assemblies or an EV free person or something like that. And um, it kind of took a, a, an author who wrote a lot of good books, but then he also threw a curveball in there. Um, Frank Viola, and we all know the name George Barna. They wrote a book together called pagan Christianity. Yep. I remember that book. I and think I that one there just like it, it explores the roots of church practices and it, it was actually, you know, a refreshing thing to look at that and, and realize, you know, right. how wrong we are. You know, it was, the, it was a book to explore the practices, but I think it was also a book to, of a, a call to repentance for how we esteem something that's not even a biblical practice. And I, they, I've, I fed that machine. I still feed that machine, yeah. I think, you know, but the, these books and like your books, they're necessary to point us and teach us how to do things the proper way. Right. And I remember that book and, and my, and I remember thinking, oh man, they're so close because they didn't. So if we have this stuff, this pagan Christianity, when we remove that, it creates a vacuum because it, they didn't replace it with, well, here's what we do instead. Here's what the scriptures say. Yeah. Because, and that's what we're doing as a, an equipping ministry. We're saying, here's, here's what we're supposed to be doing. I'm not just sitting here bitching about Christianity. I'm actually giving the answer, you know, I want to solve the answer. You know what I'm saying? I'm not right. just so complaining it, about it. The book basically opened yeah, the wound, but there was no landing to. Right. Yeah. No solve. Right. So Chris has a great, so the way Chris presented it, yes, here's the point. We're, we're missing out on, remember that life in abundance? I mean, everything that Jesus preached, we're missing out on everything that Jesus talked about. And there's a way to resolve that. Why, you know, when it comes to our children, when it comes to marriages, when it comes to longevity, right? Because Christianity's lacking that. Well, this is the solve. So the next thing is, you said, what would be the f top three to five misconceptions? I, you didn't use that word, but that's what you meant. Man, we've got... 1,800 years of, see, Christi I explain the majority of it in this. 
Christianity is Reformed Catholicism. Protestantism is Reformed Catholicism. That's why Protestants, that's why as Protestants, you aren't Catholic, but you observe the Mass of Christ. Doesn't make sense to me. You're not Catholic, but you observe their Sabbath of Sunday that they created. You're not Catholic, but you observe their Lent and or their Easter. That doesn't make sense to me because you're not Catholic. So why? Well, the answer is because Protestants are Reformed Catholics. And so we've got 1,800 years of really, uh, of effective marketing of a false narrative. That's the biggest problem, number one. Number two, you cannot, and I actually mentioned this in one of my books, you cannot go online and find a proper definition of Judaizer. Here's what, here's what Christianity has taught a Judaizer is. They know, oh, they've heard that word. Oh, yeah, Paul was against the Judaizers. The Judaizers were trying to in, infiltrate Christianity by forcing Torah observance, something Jesus did away with. No, that's not true. This, that, that's 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 probably the most common thing. But the second, and then the next common thing, the third thing would be, we've been taught that Jesus did away with the law. He came and did away with it based on Matthew five seventeen. He fulfilled it, which means he doesn't have to do it. So the Christian narrative is God knew that we couldn't do it, and so He sent Jesus to do it for us. So now we don't have to. That's completely one thousand percent made up. There's not even, you can't even find verses to make that up. <laughs> so these are some major, major, major foundational misconceptions and false narratives and absolute doctrine of demons, absolute lies regarding what it is we're talking about. And so when you add all those together, uh, one, Catholics made it illegal to do this stuff. Two, um, Paul is against it. Because they don't know what Judaizers is, means. Three, Jesus did away with it. And then four, uh, we're not saved by, by, by works. We're saved by grace, which is not even, uh, 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 it's not even a concept. So, for example, we don't have to be circumcised. Well, where does it say that? It never says that. That's, a con that's the result of a convoluted conversation when you take everything I just said and you just convolute it into a, a mess. It's just a mess. It's like, it's like fishing line that's a bird nest, a mess of fishing line. You got to sit there and spend hours to, un to untangle it. Well, the best, so, we, so you have to start somewhere, Judaizers. A Judaizer isn't, here's what we've been told, here's what people believe, here's what you'll find on the internet. A Judaizer is someone that is forcing uh, Christians that have been saved by grace to uh, obey Torah, the law, for salvation. And, that's, and, then, they, and then they bring up uh, Galatians. Yeah, it's, Paul, Paul addressed it in Galatians. It's like, well, no, because... If Paul's the apostle to the Gentiles, his Galatian church wasn't made up of Jews. It was made up of Gentiles. And so when he said, you went back, you reverted back to what you knew before. It wasn't Torah. They're not Jews. It was paganism. See, oops. So the Judaizers, the Judaizers were, were, were men from Judah, hence the word Judaizers, believers from Ju Judea, who were going around infiltrating Paul's Gentile churches and telling them that they had to be ritually circumcised for, in order to, for their salvation to be legit. 
Paul didn't even know what the answer was. Look at Acts 14. The end of Acts 14, Paul doesn't even know what the answer is, which is why he goes back to the leadership in Jerusalem to ask them about it. Hence, now we have the Jerusalem Council of, of Acts 15. The conclusion is, so if so it's presented. Now, there are some Pharisees that are a part of this, this council because Jesus was a Pharisee, and that's why the Pharisees followed him and came to him at night, and a bunch of them got saved. And that's why they're a part of the leadership in the Council of Jerusalem in Acts 15. In verse 5, it says that some of the, uh, the Pharisees said, hey, these Gentiles, they need to be circumcised and they need to obey, observe the Torah. It's never contested. Verse 5 is never contested. Hmm. What's being contested is whether they need to be ritually circumcised for salvation. And they, come, and they conclude that, no, they don't. Why add an extra burden to them? What burden? And everyone says the law. The law is the burden. Well, you can't say that because both the Old and New Testament both say, God says in the Old Testament that the, that the Torah isn't burdensome. It's not beyond your reach to do. So, so they can't be talking about that. So here, here's a question for you, Alan. Um, the, what I've been understanding more and more, and this is probably elementary for people that are studying like you. Um, when Jesus said, take my yoke upon you for it's easy and it's light, a yoke is, my understanding is uh, a rabbi's interpretation of the Torah. Is that correct? It can be, yes. Okay. So in other words, he's saying, take my teaching of the Torah upon you because it's easy and it's light. Right. And Jesus's teaching of the Torah was how God actually intended it to happen and had okay. intended it to be as he explains in Matthew 5. Okay. It, it yeah. just, Something I've always right. wondered about. And so yeah. the Torah isn't the yoke. The Torah isn't burdensome. It says that in the Old Testament. And, and John, First John even says that, that keeping God's Torah isn't burdensome. So that's not what they're talking about in Acts chapter 15. They're talking about the traditions which the Judaizers are pushing. The, the Judaizers are pushing the tradition of ritual circumcision as a mandate to be saved. And that's what that Acts chapter 15 is about. And that's why they say, no, you do not have to be circumcised to be, sa to be saved. They don't say you don't have to be circumcised, but that you don't have to be circumcised for salvation. Those are two different things. See? So they've count it's a big, massive, convoluted mess of a conversation. Because the marketing is so bad. Well, because the marketing has been so good regarding the false narrative. Can I say a few things real quick? Sure. I wanted to I wanted to address what Chris had to say about love because that's what we grew up in the early Jesus movement. It was to identify getting back to Jesus. When you look at, I mean, the profound chapters of John 14, 15, 16, and 17, which lay the foundation of where he was identifying what the love is, to love him, to love the Father. He says, if you love me, you'll, you'll keep my commandments. And when you look at that and you look at who Jesus is, we forget the fact that it says in the volume of the book, it's written of me. You search the scriptures for in them you think you have life, but they are they which testify of me. He's the embodiment of the living word. And I'll say this again. The word of God was meant for children to understand it. And we screwed it up by the laws of men 
extrapolating our opinions. And that's how we made the laws of men. And Jesus addressed that. He goes, those aren't my commandments. And just like with going to a different subject in the book of Romans, people, I got hit up again. What does it mean to be under law or to be under grace? And uh, and the fact of the matter is, it says we're not under the law of sin and death. Yep. That's Never exactly. says we're under the law. Yeah. Never. Paul says they the law get it. If you look at Romans in context, what it's saying, it's sin and death. But again, here's the word law. Where do you ever see him refer to the word law? He's always talking about his commandments and statutes. And he says they're not grievous to be born. They're not hard. Like what Alan was saying. So when you go back to the beginning, Deuteronomy 6, the way that a father would be able to explain it to the children, a child should be able to look at the book of Revelation and be able to understand and see Jesus. That's what the feasts are all about. So that we see Jesus, Yeshua, in the feasts. And they made it really hard. And it's supposed to be incredibly simple. Yeah. We're supposed to shout what the Bible shouts, whisper what the Bible whispers, and be silent when the Bible's silent. And uh, we screwed up on that one. And I have to say here, unlike a huge strain of Torah observers, that Torah sects, whatever you want to call it, unlike the, a lot of them, I actually know that my Christian brothers and sisters are keeping Torah and, they, and, and without necessarily knowing it. Even though you might not eat clean or keep the feast, I know, Bob, for a fact that you're not a thief, you're not a murderer, you're not an adulterer, you're not a, 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 a factionalist. All the things that Paul lists in his letters, you're not any of those things. I know for a fact that you're a man of God, that you're a godly man, you're a godly husband and a godly father. I know that about Chris. Chris, I know that you're not any of those things that Paul would say keeps is, is, is a Torah breaker. Uh, see, I know you guys keep Torah because I know your lives. It, it's, I've explained it like this before. So we have a friend, his name's, his name's Joe. He's a believer, godly man, godly businessman, godly father, the whole, the whole, he's the whole enchilada, man. This guy's amazing. But he just, he's just missing out on that Holy Spirit part when it comes to like speaking in tongues and prophecy and all that, he's just missing on the man. If he was, if man, he's just imagine if he, if, if Joe got that piece, it'd blow up, you know, it's the same thing, you know? Okay. So you don't eat clean and you don't keep the feast and you don't keep his Sabbath. Yes. They're big deals. Yeah. They're, yeah, they're, they're, they're huge. They're massively huge deals uh, as Unfortunately, many of us won't see until it's too late, but they are huge. They, they are significant. They're just as important as don't kill, don't commit adultery. I mean, they're on the same list, right? Um, literally, they're all, they're all, they are on the same list, uh, keeping a Sabbath, keeping his fees, eating clean, for example. But I know that you guys are, I just want to say, that I don't want to give you, I don't want you guys to ever think that I don't think that you're not, Legit. Does that make sense? Because Thank of what I'm talking. Because Thank of what we're talking Alan. about. 
because of what we're talking about and, and what I believe and what I, how I live. Does that make sense? Because uh, a lot of people think that. A lot of people think that, oh, Alan's saying this. No, I'm not saying that. What I'm saying yeah. is, you know, if you don't speak in tongues, I, I'm, you know, if you watch this show at all, I've, I, I, I have a co-host that left the show a few months ago, and this is the first time I've said this publicly. I, have a co- I had a co-host. A, mess, a messianic rabbi that left this show as a co-host. And one of the reasons why he left was because of my tired old mantra about speaking in tongues and charismatica. Hmm. So see what I'm saying? Um, I, I have Christian friends that don't speak in tongues. He'll say, cast out demons, raise the dead or prophesy. I don't keep, I don't hold that against us, but I'm constantly doing this about it. If you watch this show at all, I'm constantly doing this about your need as a believer to be aligned with the 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 prophet, the prophetic, uh, speaking in tongues, healing the sick, casting out demons, all that stuff. So you know what I'm saying. So it's not like oh, I just pick on people that don't observe Torah. If you're a Christian, no, I pick on Christians that don't do the spirit. You know what I'm saying. So it's not like no, I'm not prejudiced at all in any way, shape, or form. Uh, and I don't think any less of you if you. Don't speak in tongues. I don't think any less of you if you eat pork. That's between you and your, your, you know, that's, you're another man's servant. That's not for me to, but it is my job to equip and to say, hey, this is a real deal here. This is a real thing. And I didn't bring you guys on here to talk to you about this. <laughs> Thank you for the clarification. Well, you're welcome. Yes. I think, I think this shows like the marketing pro like I'm saying marketing, it's not marketing, but when when people hear you or someone that's gung ho about it, whether it's a congregation and they're hearing it from a pastor who's been enlightened or it's a, it's a spouse looking at another spouse going, you're crazy, bro. Like it's, it's like, what's the point of entry? Like, so is it like, do I have to, get circumcised yes or no no if do i have to do this yes or no do i have to do like where's the line so to speak like and it's not that people like what do i have to do to be saved if it's checking off boxes i think that's the confusion like but but it is checking off boxes because if you look if you read acts chapter 15 correctly if you're a gentile and you want to come tell salvation there's four things you have to do first before you're even allowed to come into to this thing that's what, the, that's what the Council of Jerusalem concluded in Acts chapter 15. Something uh, my, my uh, critics absolutely completely avoid at all costs. They'll bring up Acts 15 to tell me how we're not supposed to be under the law. But then, I, but then when I remind them of the four laws they are supposed to do before they come to salvation, they totally completely ignore that because it's incriminating to them. And three of them are diets. So don't tell me, because they tell you that nowhere in the New Testament does it ever say that Gentiles have to keep the Torah. Really? You just brought up Acts 15. You just incriminated yourself because Acts 15 does tell you to obey three food laws. And if you're supposed to obey three, what does your apostle Paul say in Romans? He says that the two, love your neighbor and love, your, and love God, summarizes the ten. Well, guess what? The ten summarizes the 607. And we can't even keep 607 because I'm not a woman and I'm not a farmer and I'm not a Levite. In the temple, you know, see what I'm saying? And it is. So there's a lot of ignorance, but there's a lot of bias and there's a lot of prejudice. And we, you can't approach the Bible that way, you know? And um, so, yeah, it's like, 
the entry point, and I explain again. I really do talk about this and explain. This is, there's a reason why I wrote this book. I wrote this book for Christians that thought, huh, about this stuff, and I explain it because it's com- it's it's a crazy it's a crazy it's a puzzle. Well, and the entry point is usually eating clean. I'm not supposed to eat pork and or uh, Shabbat, keeping the Sabbath. That's usually the entry point. And no, we do, like Paul, we do not teach that if you're a grown man and you're not circumcised and you come to this, you have to be circumcised. No, 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 no. That's not New Testament teaching. But if you have a male child and he's born in two months, you need to circumcise him on, by the eighth day because that is the covenant. That's what, the, that's what your New Testament Bible teaches. Now that we're all thoroughly confused and embittered. <laughs> all right, I'll be calling you guys around the 7th, making sure you guys are blowing your shofars on that new moon. I'll be coming over to your house and checking to see if you have a suka in about three weeks' time. Not to be confused with a hookah. <laughs> You can smoke your hookah under the suka. <laughs> In fact, that's a good place to smoke your hookah is under the suka. <laughs> oh, man. Can I pray blessings over, over us and then uh, we'll uh, tap out? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Father God, I pray that your word, your Bible, your scripture, I actually, Bible, that's ridiculous. Father, I pray that your word, your scripture doesn't come back void. And I know it it doesn't because you say it doesn't. Father, your word says that we are to be cognizant of your times, your appointed times, and your feast days. And you told Moses beyond, after, after downloading your Torah to Moses in those 40 days on Mount Sinai, the last thing you remind him of was, above all else, keep my Sabbaths, plural. Father, you give us a weekly Sabbath, and in about a week's time or so, you're going to give us a high, you're going to give us three high Sabbaths, four high Sabbaths in the next month. Then you expect and and that we come and and worship you at. And you give us the how and the when. So, Father, I pray blessing. I pray blessing over your word that it enters into hearts and minds and spirits. And that we would desire to align ourselves with your word. That's all that this is, a, this is about. That's all that we preach around here is that the people listening would desire to align their lives with your rules of engagement, with your scripture, and that they would make your scripture their lifestyle. That's all we're talking about. We're not talking about legalism. We're not talking about goofy stuff. We're not talking about wearing white linen on certain feast days and gold encrusted shofars and all that goofy stuff messianics do. No, we're not talking about any of that. We're simply talking about opening up the eyes of our understanding to your word so that we can do it. In Jesus' name, that you would keep us invisible from the evil one and the evil man. Amen. You're listening to Chameleon Church. Biblical antidotes for the modern man. With your host, Ellen Aguirre.
The views and opinions expressed during our broadcasts are solely those of the broadcast producers, hosts, and or guests, etc., and are not necessarily the views or opinions of the Travelog Network, its sponsors, or affiliates.